0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome in to the Audson Audibles Podcast. I'm Matt friend Eric Scopel on the show as always on this Friday edition of the pod podcast. I don't think I ever said pod on the show, Eric. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you make you, you make fun of people who call it a pod. So yes.
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't know what led to that. Uh, Boy,
0: boy, how the times have changed, man. We are going to
1: push through that mistake. We are (laughs) going to erase it from our memories. Uh, We are talking Oregon football on this Friday podcast and wrapping up our series that we've been doing the last couple of months, uh, looking at Oregon's position groups by what they did in 2020, and also looking into what we think could happen, what we see happening, the prospects of 2021. And we're wrapping it up with a look at Oregon's defensive backs. And, Eric, this was a group, I think, going into the 2020 season around January, February. We were discussing that this unit was the best in the country. And they were bringing back Lenore, Graham, Holland, Breeze, and then Varone McKinley, the third. Basically, oh, and the picket. I mean, they, they had more starters than like guys that would start on any other team in the conference than starting position. Uh, they were a completely loaded unit. There was a ton of high expectations, a lot of excitement about this group. And while no one blames them, and there's no negative vibe towards these guys, a couple of them opted out, Javon Holland, Brady Brees, Thomas Graham, when COVID hit, and it became very clear that the 2020 football season would be far from normal, and those three guys said it was in their best interest, and it probably was, for them to opt out and not play this season Lenore opted out and then originally and then came back on that and opted back in to join a, a unit that starting lineup featured Mikhail Wright, Marone McKinley, Nick Pickett, Jamal Hill, and Diore Lenore. And I think Eric, we can safely say that that combination, those five guys were pretty darn good. The problem was Jamal Hill missed the game. McKinley, uh, Rome McKinley, he was out for half of a game and then missed the other half of the next game because of a targeting call. I think Nick Pickett had the same thing. Um, we didn't see a ton of games strung together with this full unit intact.
0: Yeah, we didn't. And I think the thing that's interesting in reflecting upon it is I don't know if we ever really saw... I don't want to say we don't ever saw this group play at the highest level because I thought they played pretty darn good against USC in that championship game. USC has incredible Great. receivers. The quarterback play is really strong there. Um, I, I think certainly we certainly we saw some moments that were impressive. But for the most part, this is a group that in seven games was kind of a little underwhelming. And, and we, we should say we saw we saw, I think, some things to really build upon towards the end of the season with the way that obviously Mikhail Wright was a first team all conference cornerback and Jamal Hill being I don't think he actually won the MVP for the conference championship game Kevon Thibodeau won that but as Thibodeau said afterwards it's like uh Jamal Hill probably had a very good claim for it he made a couple of interceptions in that game he broke up some passes he made some big hits um he was certainly a player that came on late throughout the, you know later on in the season um I think it's a it's a group that probably the expectations were elevated because of who all was supposed to be back. And I think you mentioned the guys that opted out. I think we probably didn't really course correct enough once that took place to say they're losing three NFL caliber players or at least three players that think they're going to play in the NFL. I think Holland is a guarantee. I think Graham probably gets a shot. I don't know what Breeze's future looks like um, exactly, but like those three guys thought they could play in the NFL. That's how good those guys were. And I don't know if we really took that fully into account of how that was going to impact this group. So I think there were elevated expectations for this group that they were just going to be awesome. When the reality is they were basically replacing 60% of the starters. Um, and the three guys that left, left like two months before the season started. So it's not like they had a full off season to prepare for that sort of thing. So I think it was probably predictable that they were kind of up and down. And I'm not saying they were terrible. Um, you know, there were some games where they didn't play very well. Certainly. Um, but there were some games where I thought they really they came out and, and, and made some things difficult for opposing teams. Um, like I said, the USC game comes to mind. I think the California game comes to mind, with the exception of, like, I think they had one or two passes all game of more than 20 yards to receivers. So there were certainly nice moments, but it was a group that I think, like, especially with the expectations that were set preseason and during spring of, like, this might be the best defensive back group in program history. Could this be the best secondary in the country? They didn't live up to that. They're not even close. And I think in part it's because of the turnover. And in part, I think some of the guys just didn't play quite as well. And you mentioned Pickett missing some time. Um, you know, he, he missed some games and, and, and Jamal Hill missed some time and McKinley missed some time. And I think the thing that really stood out was the depth behind those guys was maybe a little bit disappointing in terms of some of the production we saw from guys like Jordan Happel, Steve Stevens, and, and Bennett Williams. And I know Stevens got hurt, so he didn't finish the season, but like there were certainly th- opportunity for those guys to excel. And I think with the exception of maybe Williams towards the end of the season, and I know Happel made a really big play against UCLA right before the half ended, and might have been conference player, defensive player of the week that week. Um, I think overall you were pretty disappointed with the depth at that spot. And I think that we're going to segue in a second talking about looking at 2021. That remains, I think, a, an area of at least some concern.
1: Jamal Hill, I think early on in the season, he had the, re- the responsibility of replacing uh, Javon Holland. And honestly, it, it felt like a year ahead of time. Like Yeah, well, it, it was. <laughs> Oregon's program knew that Javon Holland's time at Oregon was very limited. He had, it was highly unlikely he would be back for a fourth year. And it just felt like a natural progression of the 2020 season and a normal year being hauling swan song while also at the same time getting Hill ready for a bigger role. And that obviously didn't happen. And I feel like maybe the first couple of weeks of the season that Hill, I don't know if struggling is the right word to use, but he had a learning curve. You know, he, he had some good moments. He had some average to good, you know, average okay moments. And then he had some poor moments. But then I think towards the tail end of that year in 2020, Hill really turned it around and finished really strong. I and mean, his two-interception perform against, performance against USC was, a, you know, and what I call the best performance of the year by an Oregon defensive back. Um, and I feel like the year ends with him now kind of ascending a little bit. And I don't know, Eric, if, if it's safe to say that Jamal Hill is going to be an NFL prospect that could go pro after the 2021 season, but the way he finished the year, you at least had this discussion in your head now of this guy might be an NFL player. I don't know when, but the way he's progressing lately is showing signs of an NFL player. Um, DJ James is another young guy that was expected to have a huge role in 2021 and kind of got thrust into that action a little bit earlier in 2020. And much like Hill, um, he played okay at times, good at times, bad at times. And then towards the end of the season really kind of assumed that, you know, okay, you're a starter level guy where we were going into this off, you know, the previous off thinking you were one more year away from being a starter. So I, I feel like there was definitely a lot of trial by fire for a lot of these guys. And while, They maybe had some up and down rocky moments during the 2020 season. Oregon still found a way to repeat as league champs. And at the same time now, a bunch of the younger guys who were thrust into bigger roles a year ahead of time are better prepared for the 2021 football season.
0: Don't you think it's fair to say, just to kind of finish up our review, that like Oregon loses three games, but like none of them felt like it was directly because the secondary underperformed? Like, I I just think I look at the – I know the Oregon State game maybe would be the one where you could make some sort of argument because there were certainly moments there where where the Beavers moved the ball down the field vertically a little more than you'd like to see. But, like, I still think there were issues in the front seven there in terms of Jamar Jefferson ran for, I think (laughs) – I think he ran for, like, 300 yards and set the Oregon State school record in the rivalry series. And and then offensively, Oregon played great for, like, two-and-a-half quarters and then really was struggling second half, basically, of that game. The Cal game, like I said, I don't think they gave up a lot through the air. And the Iowa State game and the Fiesta Bowl, I think, sort of the same thing. I mean, there were certainly moments – I mean, DJ James got beat for a long pass, but, like, it's not like the Cyclones just, like, completely dominated that game th- with the passing game. They won that game because they played just better, more clean football, like, straight up. Like, Oregon made a ton of mistakes in that game in every single facet, and, and Iowa State was the veteran team and that didn't make those mistakes. So like, I think this is a, a group that, like, certainly, you know, like the expectations were really high. They didn't meet those, but like, I also don't look at it and say like, gosh, this group really was a, a, a like, this was really a, a sore spot for this team and Ben, if, if they don't get this sorted out in 2021, they're going to have to take a lot of lumps. Like I think you go into 2021 and, and maybe this is where we segue. Maybe you have, maybe there's more to talk about, but like, I look at 2021 and think like the sky's pretty high. I, the ceiling's probably not quite as high. As it was going into 2020 when we thought Hall and Graham and Breeze were back, but like I don't feel like it's significantly lower. And there, and there are, again, there are some depth concerns at both safety and corner, but the top end talent is really clear. And like you mentioned, Jamal Hill, like I look at him and think, yeah, I think that's an NFL player at some point. Like I don't know if it's after this season or not. I think physically he's got all the tools to be a really good NFL safety, or or if there is a similar hybrid position to what he plays and has played at Oregon, and it'll be interesting to see what Tim Bruder does. That's a conversation we can have in a second here with, with this group. But like, I, I, I think he's obviously an NFL caliber guy at some point. I think Mikhail Wright Certainly will be. Um, I think Farone McKinley, the third, I don't know what his ceiling is. Cause he's a little undersized to play safety, but like, he's a guy who makes plays and he's reliable out there and you trust him out there. So you got like, those three guys are kind of, I think what you're, you're building around going forward in terms of the guys, you feel really like very confident they're going to be, high-end caliber players. Like, I think if I said all three of those guys are going to be at least honorable mention all conference this upcoming season, I don't think anyone's going to, like, shake their right. head at that. And I think if you were to say they're all going to be first or second team, you'd probably be like, well, that would take the coaches to actually vote for Oregon players to happen, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know if I expect. But, like, but like those guys, I wouldn't be surprised if all three of those guys feel like all conference caliber guys by the end of the upcoming season. And I think that's what you're building around. I think that was maybe the big takeaway from 2020 is that McKinley kind of asserted himself as the leader of the group, Wright's clearly the most talented, and Hill is somebody who really seemed to ascend as a, a really high-end player for them going forward. We
1: also didn't see a ton of 5 on Dante Manning during the 2020 football season because of an injury.
0: Basically uh, none. And, pardon? I said basically we saw none of them. Yeah, we didn't see any of them.
1: We, he played in one game, yeah. um, and I don't think it was a ton of snaps. I think like the first game or game of the year.
0: Yeah, it was like special teams primarily. I don't even know how much he was on the field, to be honest.
1: And so that—that's kind of like, I replacing Lenore is going to be difficult. Pickett's um, experience and his production will be tough to replace. But in the grand scheme of things, Oregon is recruited well at both positions. Where, yes, did Pickett say he's coming back? I can't remember.
0: No, Pickett's, Pickett's not. Pickett, Pickett's gone.
1: Yeah, Pickett's gone. That's right. I had a brain fart there for a second. Um, well, 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 both of those guys are going to be extremely difficult to replace. I don't look at it and think, oh boy, Oregon is in trouble. Like, Mikhail Wright will elevate himself to, to cornerback number one. DJ James has done a good job, and you feel confident that he's ready to be now your, your number two corner. And then... At safety, you know it could be Verone. It could it could be Jordan Happel. Um, I think you feel pretty good about both of those guys, especially Verone. I think Happel um, was picked on maybe a little bit. Yeah, but I don't think like you said like there wasn't like a game where you're just like boy, they just can't. You know they're going at him every time and they have no answer. Um, and so really, it feels like. What does Dante Manning bring to the table in 2021? Like, how does his emergence, if at all, shuffle things around for Oregon? Um, I, I do think the questions you have going into this season aren't really related to starters. It's what can you get from the guys behind them?
0: Just from a recruiting standpoint, here's a snapshot. I just put up a story on duckterritory.com on Thursday of um, the way these players stack up as recruits. And then then we can talk about Dante because I think he fits into this. But like four of Oregon's eight best cornerback recruits are currently on the roster and five of the best 10 safety recruits are currently on the roster. So that puts in perspective of, and actually it's like five of the top 11 safety recruits because TriQuest Bridges was also a safety, he's the 11th in, in program history. So like this is a group that, experience is certainly in question a lot of the guys that I just ran through there like haven't played at all or very very limited at Oregon but like I think there's pretty clearly a talented group and Manning is of course the one that leads it all he's the best defensive back recruit Oregon's ever signed the only five-star defensive back either corner or safety he plays cornerback he's probably like kind of the wild card here and I think it's I think it's kind of like, not only was he the... We didn't see either Justin Flo or Dante Manning, who were two of the three five-stars in that signing class, really play at all last year. But I feel like we heard more from coaches about Flo. Like I Actually, for for being a five-star recruit, and I just read through the accolades of, like, literally the best defensive back they've ever signed, I feel like there was not a ton of discussion around him um, throughout the season. It was kind of like, he's hurt, and we didn't get a whole lot of updates on kind of what kind of a player he would be. But, like, I, I think... I'm hoping we get to see some spring practice to just see what he can do physically. Cause like it's like a six foot one guy who's got track speed and supposedly incredible agility. Um, so I, I, I will be very curious to see his role. And like we said a second ago, like there is now an open cornerback spot mm-hmm. and it's going to be, I think really interesting to see now how that plays out. And, and not only is there an open cornerback spot, there's like literally no, returning depth. Like Mikhail Wright and DJ James are the only guys who return who've like really played at all at Oregon. And I I think we talked about this shortly after the season and like or maybe I can't remember what the podcast was, but certainly like it's one of the bigger questions for this team is going to be not only who starts opposite to Mikhail Wright at one corner spot, because obviously he's starting, but it's also going to be like Who's cornerbacks three, four, and five that you can rely on? And do they right. have those guys? From a, from a talent perspective, at least recruiting, they do. We just haven't seen it on the field yet.
1: I lean to DJ James being the opening day starter opposite right. Probably. Um, I, I feel like he's the proven commodity. Uh, a guy that played – he he's played in 20 games in the last two years. He played in all seven last year in 2020. 13 uh, and 2019 season. So, I mean, he's a guy that's got experience, 20 games. I mean, and, and you're going to be a sophomore again in in 2021. Uh, you take that every day. Um, and I also think, like, here, tell me if I'm crazy on this one. DJ James isn't up to par, okay? Mm-hmm. Is there a better opportunity that Oregon then slides Bennett Williams into safety, and slides Verone McKinley the third over the corner
0: ahead so, of Dante Manning? Yeah, something like that could happen. I mean, I, I, again, I just did the recruiting rankings. McKinley came out of, of high school as a corner recruit. He's a little undersized. He's played there a little bit when um, when the. 2019 season was about to start. We thought he was playing that nickel position. Then he and Javon Holland kind of flipped, and the nickel's probably a little closer to corner than safety would typically. So like, I could see something like that happening. Um, I, I also think like it's going to be really interesting to see I, I, if there's ever a position battle, and I'm just talking James Manning that is more indicative of like high end talent versus experience. It's this one because like I've got this like. Again, Manning's the best recruit Oregon's ever signed at corner. DJ James is the 20th best. And that's not terrible, but like he's he's like he was like a mid mid, you know, an average three-star recruit. and Now he's gone out and played and and may, I think Ben probably he and Jamal Hill two late additions really have exceeded expectations. I think those guys kind of were brought in at the end of that 2019 mm-hmm. class and it was kind of like Oregon needed some defensive backs they'd missed on a couple of guys that were that were big highly highly regarded. I think they had a decommitment from was that the Chris Steele year? I can't recall if that was that year or not. But, like, they they'd missed on some guys, and they needed to find some people, and they went after It was kind of an afterthought they brought these guys in. Both players have been really good, and I certainly think James can be capable. But, like, I think it's going to be really telling to see, like, is this the talent of Manning just so clearly sup- supersedes the experience of James? Or, or is this an example of, like, hey, DJ James has paid his dues. He's played well when he's on the field. We trust him we haven't seen Dante Manning play yet and Oregon's second game of the seasons against Ohio state. We'd rather have a guy who's a little more experience out there battling some of these top Buckeyes than somebody who isn't, even if the guy who isn't is arguably not arguably is considered a better prospect. So that'll be interesting. I think the Verona McKinley part does throw an interesting wrinkle at it on it. Like, and I think there is some potential for some positional versatility here. If they feel good enough about a Bennett Williams or a Steve Stevens, um, or even maybe a Jamal Hill sliding over from nickel. To, I, I think you could see some musical chairs here. And I think that actually gets to the part that's interesting is like, what exactly is Tim Deruder's base defense? And, and is it going to be similar enough where it's as simple as saying Jamal Hill plays the hybrid role, which I can't recall off the top of my head. I think it was, I think the star position is like the stud position um, from the old Oregon defense. And then there's a new, a new nickel that has a different name and I, I'm, I'm losing. I can't remember what it was, but um so those listening can probably go find it. I, know I wrote about it when Drew was hired, but like, is it as simple as Hills plays that hybrid role? And then you've got McKinley playing his, um, you know, f- free safety role. And then you've got one of the other guys playing, you know, the, the boundary spot. Is it as simple as that? And then you, and you've got your corners or is this a thing where we could see McKinley play the nickel and maybe Hills a better fit for one of the safety spots. And there is, musical chairs from a couple spots or, and I think the thing you brought up is kind of interesting. I was like, could we see McKinley, bro McKinley be a full-time corner? Um, we've seen highly regarded veteran defensive backs move spots like, later in their career. Think about Ugo Amadi um, not too long ago. And he did the inverse basically from, from corner to playing safety. But like, I, I, I think it's a decent point to think like to suggest that if there is more concern at corner or safety or whatnot, I could see them moving some, some guys around, and we should note they've already done a little bit of that with a guy like Brian Addison, who is listed on the depth chart, or I should say the roster, as a wide receiver slash cornerback, and I think it was pretty clear towards the end of the season he wasn't playing receiver anymore, yep. and I think you can expect him to be kind of in this mix, and they list him as a corner. He's 6'5". Could he be somebody that fix? you know, I don't even know exactly what his role is, but could he factor into this too?
1: You also wonder... Oregon signed a bunch of guys in 2021 in the secondary. Um, Darren Barkins, a three-star cornerback out of San Diego area. You also have um, Avante Dickerson, a four-star cornerback from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Jeffrey Bossa, a four-star safety. Damon David, a four-star safety. And then you also had the highest-rated guy of the whole DB unit, um, Jalen Davies a four-star cornerback and you wonder how much room is there for one of those or multiple guys from the, from the recruiting class to come in and play right away. And do they start, do they uh, serve as a backup role? I think that's like, that's kind of what I was going back to earlier in the show of like, we feel pretty good about the, the five guys starting it's more so where do the pieces fall and who, who fills them for the backup spots. I mean, you can make an argument, Eric, in my eyes, at, at least that, you know, maybe Jalen Davies shows up and beats out Dante Manning for the top reserve quarterback spot. I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. And, and now all of a sudden Dante Manning is your fourth best corner. And that shows maybe the, the, Level of talent and depth that you have at that spot. Um, does a, a Damon David or a Jeffrey Bassa, do one of those guys show up and beat out Jordan Happle? I think if there was going to be out of the five, if there's going to be a guy who has uh, the, the, the most to lose going into training camp, it's probably Happle, right? Like, yeah, 100%. The one that doesn't feel like if there's someone that's not fully entrenched as a starter, it's him. And so you wonder, does maybe a Bossa or a Damon David push their way into that discussion where they're in the the line for starting?
0: Yeah, I think that spots – I actually, like, I don't – I wouldn't even say, like, Happel's name is probably at the top, but it's in – certainly, like, it's Pencil. And I guess we'll use that, you know, that you talk about making predictions for the NCAA tournament. Maybe that's appropriate now in terms of Pencil versus Sharpie. Like, that one is not guaranteed. Like, I think you can pretty confidently say Jamal Hill is going to be – the starter probably had a hybrid spot, maybe at another safety spot and McKinley and right. Like those three guys I think are starting. I, I think, I think Happel is going to have to fight off Bennett Williams. I think Steve Stevens, the fourth kind of an interesting case study. He started a game over Happel early in the season and then got hurt. Didn't play again the rest of the season. Like I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see Steve Stevens, you know, uh, who, by the way, the highest rated safety recruit in program history, who's just kind of bided his time. Now, this is his fourth year in the program. Still a sophomore, by the way, because of the extra year we've got. And by the way, Jordan Happel is a sixth year senior. Um, so we've got some real older players here. Um, but like, I wouldn't be surprised to see Steve Stevens. Like I, I honestly at all, like, I, you know, I, I, I would predict probably just right now based upon, the you know, what we saw last year. The information we have that Happel probably is in a better spot than Stevens. But like, I'm not going to be stunned in the least bit if Steve Stevens is one of the starting five guys in the secondary for most of the season. Like I, I really wouldn't be. Um, and but you're right. Like, what is the role for some of these true freshmen? I think Bassa to me, and I have we don't know this for a fact, but like he looks like someone you could play a hybrid nickel spot mm-hmm. pretty effectively with his athletic traits. David may be the same. Um, the cornerback group is really going to be interesting. I don't have a real clear idea, like you said, of like, like I think probably in some like, I think we have a, a sense that the top three corners in some order, well, Mikhail Wright's number one clearly, but like between DJ James and Dante Manning, I think we're all kind of saying that's two and three and one of those two in in some order. But, like, I'm not going to be stunned at all to see Avante Dickerson or a Jalen Davies, who, by the way, are – Dickerson is the seventh best corner recruit in program history. Davies is the eighth. These are two of the best corner recruits Oregon's ever signed. These are, You know, Dickerson was the eighth best corner recruit in the entire country last year. Davies was the tenth. I mean, these are two really high-end guys. I'm not surprised at all if if one or both of those guys pushes a James or a Manning for playing time and and maybe beats him out. And so, like, the corner position is the one where I look at it and go, we know the least here, but the ceiling could be super, super high, especially then when we include a couple of guys that have kind of moved around from different positions. Like, Traquess Bridges' name, we haven't mentioned him at all, but that's a guy who I know at one point was drawing some pretty high – Pretty positive reviews. The guy who came in as a as a safety recruit, long and rangy. I think he's six foot three, six foot four. Um, I'm not going to be surprised if he's somebody that factors into this. And then Brian Addison's name, I think, is a really intriguing one. I mean, Oregon fans know this guy better than they know. I mean, he's played actual football, just not on this side of the football. You know, he he was a guy who played quite a bit at receiver in 2019. Um, 18 catches, made I think six starts, had got 203 yards and a touchdown. And then didn't play really at all last year on offense. So like he's a name to kind of watch too. So like I think the cornerback position group, but you're right. Like I feel I feel pretty good that the end result is gonna be some really talented dudes playing, but I don't know if we have a very clear concept of like what that rotation's like at all. And probably other than quarterback, probably the position group that I feel like we know the least about in terms of like what how this is gonna shake out. Like I really think. Wright's entrenched as a starter, and then you kind of don't know what the rest of it looks like exactly at this moment, at least.
1: How many pros do you feel like are on this roster in the secondary? Like, I feel like Wright is a pro, McKinley's a pro, Jamal Hill's a pro. Yeah, that's three. And then I look at, you know, Dante Manning, Jalen Davies. Maybe, maybe somebody else, a third, and say like five and a half. That's what I'm doing. Five and a half. There are more than. Is there less than five or or more than five future pros on this roster? You feel
0: like? I feel really good about saying there's three for sure, and I'll probably say three and a half because I'm I'm hedging my bet that Donte Manning is going to live up to his recruiting rankings, and and he'll be one of those guys. So like I'd say like three and a half to four for sure. It's just hard with Dickerson and Davies two really highly regarded guys to know like how good either of those guys are going to be because we haven't seen it yet. I think Bennett Williams is the other one I'd throw out there. I think from a physical traits perspective, like he stands out and like Steve Stevens certainly has some talents. So, like if you're setting the bar at five or you say five and a half, is that the number you had? Yeah. I'll take the over just to be optimistic. I mean, there's 16 guys on this roster. Eight of them are four star recruits or better. And that doesn't include two of the guys that we've already kind of written as, as you know, McKinley and Hill were both three stars. So, like, that's a, bi- that's a base group of, like, eight guys that are four-star recruits or better, which usually indicates they have that sort of potential. And then two guys that we don't even have in that group who I think we both already believe are that caliber of player. And that is also doesn't include DJ James. So, like, yeah, I, I'll take the over on that. But, like, from, like, a what we know now perspective – from a guarantee, like I think these guys are going to be pro perspective, it's like it's less. But I think just the upside, I'm just trusting that these recruits pan out in a way that allows for Oregon to after 2021. Because after 2021, you're going to lose Mikhail Wright, I think, pretty clearly. Um, you're going to lose possibly Verona McKinley. I mean, he, if he comes back in 2022, he'd be what, like a fifth year junior um, does he really want to do that? I mean, I mean that, that's just kind of the reality of these circumstances. Like, does he really want to be – I mean, I know he loves playing college football. He's a really bright guy. But, like, does he just really want to play college football? I mean, that's the crazy thing with his NCAA extra year is, like, he could, in theory, be a sixth-year senior in 2023 and just keep playing. Or, if he has a chance, he could come back. So, like, my, my point is, like, I think we'll know more – after 2021 about like the ceiling for a lot of these guys, because there's only so many minutes to be played. But I think I'm, I'm going to say probably more than five and a half, but I'm really only confident right now. And, and I'll say three and a half and I'm giving half to Dante Manning, just based upon the, the, you know, the, the recruiting information we've had. Let's
1: end this podcast with this discussion going into this time last year. We were discussing that this unit was one of the best in the country, mm-hmm. if not the best, pre opt out. It, it, it's too much to ask for this, to, this to, to even consider is this like a top five cornerback, you know, DB unit in the country? Right. That's too much. That being said, is the talent on the roster enough for us to, to consider at least, hey, we don't know what other teams in the country have, what other teams in the conference have coming back right now. We haven't done that deep dive yet. But looking at Oregon specifically, do they have the talent where they could be good enough for us to say they're a top 10 team in the country at DB and they're one of the top two DB units in the conference?
0: Yeah, I just think think that's possible. I I, I could see us having that conversation at the end of the year, but it's going to take a lot of things panning out best case i think um there's just there's just so many guys that we just straight up know some
1: about but we don't know enough about
0: yeah exactly like i mean again i've said it already on the pots i don't want to repeat it but there's there's a bunch of guys that we there's a handful there's about three guys we really know and feel really confident about and then there's about 10 guys that are really highly regarded that we just haven't seen play enough to really have an idea so like yeah i think you look at it from like again from a purely recruiting perspective like this is an incredibly talented group of defensive backs i mean there's like nine or 10 guys that are amongst the best 10 recruits at their position groups in program history. And anytime you can say that, especially with a school like Oregon, which has recruited corners really well, like, you know, it's, it's interesting looking at it. Um, Jalen Davies is the eighth best corner recruit Oregon's ever signed. He's the 57th best recruit, regardless of position they've ever signed. So like that speaks to the just kind of depth that Oregon has signed at corner. Um, You know, they've had eight guys that are basically in amongst their top 50 or so recruits they've ever signed. Um, so like the talent's really top tier, but like it's just a matter of what they can actually do. So like yeah, I'll, I'll say that certainly the the upside's there. I also think like could it also be a year with new leadership at defensive coordinator, with a new safeties coach Marcel Yates taking over for Keith Hayward, with Rod Chance just kind of still being in his infancy stages as a cornerbacks coach at Oregon. This will be his second year. Like if you know like you you can make a pretty strong argument like of Oregon's three coaches that really play an impact in the secondary only one of them has had any coaching experience at Oregon and so like you could make an argument that could slow things down the flip side is that you could also say these guys are, are, are all upgrades basically to what Oregon's had before which I don't know if I, I'm not going to like say that definitively I don't like I don't want people listening to say like I think DeRuiter better than Avalos and that Yates is better than Hayward for sure, but like, there's a possibility that transpires too, and this group really, really plays to its, you know, its its highest potential. And if that happens, like, without question, this can be one of the best groups nationally, and and like, probably like, aside from USC and like maybe Cal, based upon its and and Washington, Cal, Washington, and USC are probably the other schools I would look at. Like, I'm not going to be surprised if Oregon has the best group from that from that collection of schools. And then that makes it the best in the conference. Like that wouldn't totally stun me. And I'd have to do a better deep dive in terms of what those guys bring back and maybe the recruits they have. But like, I wouldn't be stunned if at the end of the season, it's pretty clear this was the best group in the conference. Like that wouldn't surprise me. But I also would not be surprised if we're at the end of the year saying, Egh, that group is so much talented. They kind of underwhelmed.
1: I, I think I look at this and think – if Oregon's going to get to that level where they're one of the 10 best in the country, where they're one of the two best in the conference. It's not necessarily what Mikhail Wright or Jamal Hill or Veron McKinley, III do. It's how high does DJ James, Jordan Happel, Steve Stevens, Dante Manning, uh, Jalen Davies, Jay, uh, JJ Greenfield, uh, Ben Williams, how much Trek bridges? How much do these guys elevate themselves? I feel really good about Oregon's top three. Mm -hmm. I feel pretty good about their top five, but you need seven, you need nine. And how good will six, seven, eight, nine, maybe even the 10th guy be. And if they get back to that level where they were in 2019, where we're like, Hey, if they lose a guy to an injury, it's not a big deal. It's not that the guy that got hurt isn't good. It's the guy that's waiting behind him. Is that good? And if they get back to that level or somewhere close to that where it doesn't really matter on a game-by-game basis, matchup by matchup, who they're playing because they've got it, you're good. And Oregon will be, will be in that position where they'll be one of the best units in the entire country. I think they can get there. The question is how quickly will it take to get there? Will it be the entire course of the year? Or will it be something similar to what we saw in 2020 where – the unit needed some time to develop and to get, get themselves to that level. All right. That's going to do it for us here on this Friday edition of the odds and audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We will be back on Monday. I'm sure we'll be, we'll be discussing the men's game over the weekend in the NCAA tournament. Also some last minute thoughts ahead of the women's game that night. Uh, so plenty to talk about on the show next week. We've also got spring football, which will be getting closer and closer. So keep an eye out for both of those next week. And until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast.
0: Talk to you later, folks.